Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Chai Break Podcast. This is your host, Shweta Ravi Shankar. And Ramachari from New York City. This season, we're excited to interview a roster of amazing South Asian women who have broken barriers, questioned norms, and continue to make a mark for themselves. They come to you from all over the globe, from Bangalore to New York, Melbourne and everywhere in between. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we do and chime in along the way. So let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Chai Break Podcast. Hi, Rama. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I think you, you guys have been uh, having some technical issues, right? <laughs> Trying to start this podcast. So a little bit nervous and anxious at this point. Until now, I was doing really great. I think it'll all be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Technology is always provides its, its own set of challenges. But hey, nice to see you, Shweta. Yes. How yes, are you? Yes. Doing good. Um, I guess like after, you know, struggling in full winter mode here in New York City, we're finally, it feels like fall and I'm happy about that. And coming, it's weird, right? Yes. The weather is so unpredictable. We just had some sunny days and then it became dead cold and now we're back to like some nice fall days. So the weather is definitely, um, you know, testing us, but it's been it's been beautiful outside. It's nice and sunny. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So coming to our episode today, we are talking to Ragini Cha, a mental health counselor based out of London. Um, we have a little background to this because we heard about Ragini first via our podcast guest and friend Shilpa Beam from Gloreal. <laughs> and I think we instantly knew we wanted to bring her on for a more in-depth conversation about a topic that's often taboo in the South Asian community, right? That is true. That is true. I think I want to keep our audience a little bit more intrigued about what the conversations would be. But I'm sure if we give a little bit background about Ragini, they would be able to figure it out. So Ragini is a qualified counselor who has worked in a variety of clinical and educational spaces around the world. Her background is pretty impressive. Um, she it includes psychological research. She's done research at Harvard in psychology and also at the London School of Economics. Um, since then, she has trained in cultural relations, person-centered and cognitive behavioral therapies. Um, also, in addition to her clinical work, Ragini has an interest in the connections between Asian uh, pop culture and social dynamics. So that's fascinating. We need to talk about that. Uh, currently, she is focused on building her practice and continuing mental health advocacy for the Asian community. A lot of what Ragini is doing, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, is so relevant in the current times. And this is literally exactly what the South Asian community needs because we're transitioning between generations. And literally, we need more folks like Ragini involved mm -hmm. in shaping up the future of South Asian community. Mm -hmm. So, um, hi, Ragni. Welcome to our podcast. And thank you for your enormous patience this morning as we're trying to set up with all the technical issues we've been having. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm just going to get started with a, with a basic question. You have such an impressive background and always keeps us wondering, how did you get to where you are? And so tell us a little bit about your background, your growing up years, the influences and experiences to the person you've become that helps you shape the person you've become? Um, I, I guess uh, for me, I was always, not to sound too cliche, but I was always kind of in between identities. And uh, I think for me, I noticed that a lot of spaces 
especially in the South Asian online spaces, they were growing quite a bit and uh, they were doing a lot for um, diaspora desis, which is amazing. But there wasn't really a space for those in-between people who were either third culture or they were older immigrants or they were international students or, you know, where they didn't quite fit into diaspora community, but they also didn't quite fit into like full on they see like lived in India their whole life kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uh, that space. So I think for me, it was really important to create that. Um, is this because you moved around a lot? Like, you know, where did you grow up? And is is that why, uh, you know, you felt that way? Yeah, I think, you know, I I felt like a lot of my childhood was in India, but then a lot of it was also uh, in the US. And then obviously now I'm in the UK. Um, my parents have been in Singapore for almost a decade now. So oh, wow. it's a lot of different environments, mm-hmm, very different mm-hmm. cultures. And so for me, it was like, how do we find the common ground here? Like, how do we find the universal trends and emotions and things that we all go through? Mm-hmm. There weren't too many spaces for that, I don't think. So so for me, that was my biggest uh, motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think we kind of, uh, you know, relate to you because the very premise of why we started the podcast was because of that, you know, because when we came here as, you know, te- in our late teens and early 20s, I think we just thought, oh, you're Indian, I'm Indian, you know, we can connect. But then you realize that the diaspora experience is so entirely different for someone, Mm -hmm. you know, like you and like me and Rama, who grew up in India. And having to, you know, find our niche and find our space and create our own little box where we are like taking the best of both worlds and, you know, trying to form an identity here. Because you're like, there are parts of your culture that you, you know, don't necessarily agree with. And there are parts of like the Western culture that you like, but you're like, "Mm," you know, so it's like kind of taking an amalgamation of the two and, you know, taking the best of two. So we totally relate to what you're saying. And um, like you were saying, you moved around so much, right? So what were some of the challenges you faced, like in finding friends, building community? And is that where you kind of started feeling a little lost and feeling the need to like, you know, I need to do something so that other people don't start feeling this way? I I think I was lucky enough that we always had a few, like we had, we always had some Indian community around, uh, which I know a lot of people don't have. Um, But for me, like I I learned Hindi classical my whole life singing. And so uh, that was like one way to stay connected throughout my life. But I think sometimes like, you know, we would go back to India, even if it was for half the year, you know, three, four, five months, I would still have this thing of like, oh, you probably don't speak Hindi. Oh, you probably, you know, it's like you step out of India and everyone is like, you're no longer allowed to feel part of this anymore. And I, you know, there's so many insecurities and things that come up. But I think because of that, I was like, okay, so when I'm in my very suburban white high school, uh, they're saying that, you know, you're such an exotic, whatever. And then I'm coming back to India and then they're saying, oh, you're too Americanized. So it's like, who do I relate to yeah, here? And yeah. honestly, later on in university, in in my 20s, like I found people who are exactly the same and that's been such so great. But um, I think that in between stage when you're a teenager, you're still figuring stuff out. You hate yourself and everyone else. And then um, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely like a, a learning curve. Yeah, yeah. I think you just try so hard to fit in yeah. And then there comes a stage where you finally embrace who you are, yeah. you know. Um, right. So what led you into mental health counseling? Like why? And especially like 
you know, the, there is such a huge need within the South Asian community. And it's amazing how you are catering to folks across like even different age groups. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, I first became interested in psychology when I was around 16. I did a semester at um, this psychology program at Stanford. And it was so I met some of the people who were doing the most groundbreaking psychology studies like Zimbardo and like he had literally had his office there I took a picture because I was such a nerd but I think that kind of it started very early on and as I grew up I started learning about like what cultural relational therapy is like how these things differ and I think even back then I was like I'm not sure if these principles can apply to people like my grandmother or like this kind of boundary setting stuff or this idea of, oh, just talk to your family. Like this kind of, it's not quite fitting. And I was like, why isn't it fitting? How do we make it work? And it took a long time to actually have the language of to speak about that and figure out how to actually adapt the treatment. It wasn't until just a few years ago that I felt comfortable even saying that, okay, I can take a Western resource and I can take maybe some Asian tradition that I'm more comfortable with and, and combine them. It's quite difficult, but uh, getting there. And that is literally the space that there is a huge demand now, right? I mean, like Shweta was talking. I mean, we've kind of tried to figure it out over the years, but I wish there was someone like you or someone who's kind of you know using that as a niche to really say, hey, you don't have to take all that trouble. You're not alone and you're not weird. Um, there is this situation going on and I can help. So back in that time, we're talking 20 years, uh, none of this existed. And we thought that we were just, you know, I, you know, I was just abnormal, like think that way. But now it feels like it's such a norm. You just people like you're making this a norm and discussions like this are making this a norm. So like the SSA is all mental health professionals say, you don't have to be, you know, in a crisis to take counseling. Or there's, there's no right time and age when you need to have a counselor or therapist for this. So number one, so from there ties two questions. Number one, why did you pick counseling? I know we have all these mental health issues and you correctly pointed out South Asian community, there's still a lot of work to go on. But why counseling, number one? And is there a right age and time in your life where you feel everyone needs to have a counselor or therapist? Um, how do you like to incorporate this? in mainstream psychology, especially with South Asian community? Um, so I'd say counseling because it's going to be a controversial statement. Get ready. So uh, psychiatrists, we love you. We need your pills. But they often uh, throw pills at the problem and mm. they don't actually offer talk therapy most mm -hmm. of the time, mm -hmm. as far as I know. And so I think for me, counseling was really important because it was kind of working at something rather than just medicating people. And I was not trying to learn how to prescribe things or medicate people. I was trying to learn how to actually get to the root of issues and give people a space to talk. I'm sure there are lovely psychiatrists out there. It's so funny because in the mental health like community, psychiatrists have this like, <laughs> nobody, nobody. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, for me, the talking part was really important. So that's why counseling. And um, what was the second part of your question? Basically, what, you answered both the questions with the, with the right answer. Why did you pick counseling as a career option? But then and, also like the age, right? Like when do you oh, think? When is the right mm -hmm. age? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, I do worry sometimes that there is such a thing as too young for counseling, but there's obviously no such thing as too old. Uh, a lot of people come because there's some change happening or there's something happening, but does definitely doesn't have to be the case. I mean, I have clients who just check in once a month just because they want to just make sure they're on track. They want to make a few goals each month. They just want somebody to check in with. So if you feel like, oh, well, I don't really have some huge problem, you could always just decrease the frequency or you could, um, you know, you can check in as you like. It's it's what you make of it. So mm-hmm. that's that's really the main thing. And what kind of issues do you see, especially like young international students? I feel like that's such an untapped territory. And the fact that you're working with, uh, you said, uh, we were talking earlier and you were saying that you work with a couple of universities in London, mm-hmm. right? So what is what is one thing that, you know, most students like feel like they're having problems with and they come and talk to you about? So I would say one big thing, obviously, is um, not knowing what resources actually are available. Um, so, for example, in the UK, they do have free counseling uh, at most universities, which they do in the US, I think, as well. But um, they have special funding for international students. They have special funding for different disabilities and things. And I think especially international students are not made aware of that. Or they feel like, oh, I'm, I'm on a visa, so I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask and those kind of things. So I think just knowing what you can ask for is something that we work on, kind of letting them know what are the resources you can use. That's one big thing. The other one is obviously just um, adjustment, like loneliness, uh, which all students face. But especially when you're far from home, a lot of them can't afford to go home for the holidays. So you end up in this empty campus, like, well, everyone else has gone home. Um, I remember when I had my first job, a big thing that kept coming up was like, why do you need more than two weeks? Uh, you know, I'm flying or or I'm just driving down to see my family and it's only going to be two or three days. Like, why do you need all this time? And I'm like, because I'm taking a 24-hour flight. You are taking a two-hour drive. Like, it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, workplaces, campuses, uh, they're not always equipped to deal with these issues. And so it, it comes up a lot more than people think. Yeah. And so one, you know, obviously we mentioned at the start of the podcast that, you know, mental health and everything to do around it, right, in the South Asian community is still so taboo. Sure, you know, we've made progress. There are many more avenues and, you know, people are speaking about it. But from your observations, what can we do to, you know, not only start the dialogue, but keep that conversation open? And especially when it comes to, you know, um, and I think the taboo comes from a generation before us, our parents' generation, right? And if we want to openly have that dialogue, like, what can we do to open those channels? Um, I think, you know, Everyone says that Asian culture stigmatizes mental health. And I would actually say that's not the case. I would Mm. say that we actually have a really strong wellness culture. I think we really believe in spiritual health. We really believe in like, you know, natural uh, remedies and things like that. So it's, I don't think it's, it's so much that we don't want to participate. I think it's more that the clinical language can be scary for anyone. Mm. And so if we turn it more into something like a conversation about just how we're feeling, how past experiences have shaped us, rather than pathologizing Mm -hmm. and using scary words like disorder and syndrome and things like that, 
if that's the way to open things up, then so be it. You know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having those things or like using that language. But I think as an opener, that might be why people feel more intimidated by it. That is such a great yeah. point. Yeah. It's actually just thinking about it just before that I was asking, because if you really think about our culture, South Asian culture, it's not like people just, um, you know, it, this is this is probably one of the oldest civilizations living civilizations so far. and We've kept that community kind of feeling for the longest time. Even if people have moved abroad, even if people have settled in different countries, they still kept that communal feeling. It's a community that's actually, you know, raising these kids kind of a feel that still lingers on. Um, so wellness-wise, I think there is a lot of support for family support, community support within our culture. What's happening right now is the globalization. With the globalization, you know, people and the internet and a lot of these technological advances. Kids, you know, Shweta and I didn't have so much exposure back then with all this technology. So we really relied on that communal field to raise us. So when we came here, we found that stark transition. And that is where we really needed help saying, hey, what is right and what is wrong? I really need to know. But right now what's happening, I think, in the South Asian space is that the kids now see everything in the world. Like, you know, it's not just a communal Indian culture. Now they're exposed to so many cultures, not even going places, but just sitting in their living room. They can just get exposed to so many things. So they have the liberty to choose what is right and what is wrong and question things which may not really fit into the communal norm that's being already set in place. And because of that, you know, kind of distance between what they're seeing happening right now, what they're seeing outside, still trying to grapple with what's right, what's wrong, who they are. There's so much more of that explosion of mental well-being now than ever before, mm-hmm. I think. So I think it all just boils down to how we're transitioning as people, as generations now. And that was why what you're doing is so significant at this very moment in time, because we're just going to see this explode over years. So I'm sure one of your challenges in in dealing with this would be how you can actually get people to understand what they already have, which is the communal setup and the family and the salvation, and still use that to fit into what they think is what's better out or different outside and how to really, you know, kind of bring those together in, u- in unison and try to understand themselves better. I'm not sure if I put the right words there, but I think that's where your challenge lies, right? What do you think about that? Definitely. I mean, I have so many clients who say, I just wish that we could come for, as a family. You know, I wish that like my mom would come with me for this um, or she would get her own individual therapy. And I think a big reason that maybe older generations weren't going is because there's not very many familiar faces in these spaces, you know? And so if you see somebody where it's like, oh, you know, this is my friend of friend's daughter, or this is some, somebody's like whatever, or even just seeing a familiar surname, something like that, it can make a huge difference. Yeah, it can be comforting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why representation matters so much. And People like Deepika Parakote has come out in the open and talked about her uh, battle with depression. And that is actually phenomenal because that kind of sparks some conversation because celebrities such as herself, who seems like just perfect in every picture or video that or every Instagram that's going out, if she comes out and says that she has been suffering with this for a long time, it makes people help understand like younger generations saying, oh, we're not different. Mm -hmm. You know, she needed help. We need help too. 
Mm-hmm. So we need more people. And there are challenges happening. We need more people to talk about their issues, mental health issues, and that will probably pull people into having this yeah. dialogue yeah. more. So in the South Asian space, Ragini, what do you think are some of the common issues that you come across in general? Like if you, is, are there like a few buckets you can put these issues in? Like, you know, what what is it that you deal with very often? I guess I would say one of the biggest ones is is guilt. Like just constant guilt, uh, whether it's like not interacting with family enough, whether it's financial guilt, whether it's just guilt all the time. Uh, that's probably the biggest one. But then I would also say self-discovery, freedom. Uh, that's something we talk about a lot is just how to find yourself when you're in a space that you don't have a lot of freedom. You're not allowed to go out or do things and find yourself in that way. That's one big one. And then uh, marriages and relationships, uh, they look quite different in our community. Um, I have a few clients who live in joint family, which is uh, even in the West, like people do. And I think it's just a different dynamic. Some people are getting arranged marriages. Some people are getting uh, finding people on dating apps. And I think respecting both sides of that spectrum is something that I would love to kind of talk about in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's that's amazing. So the other big thing is that, you know, you've been in this space for a while. And I remember during one of our initial conversations, you were talking about the gaps you know, that you see and you hope to fill via your services. Can you talk about a little bit about them? You know, whether it's selective feminism, the Western versus the Eastern, they see older women and, you know, and we'll get to the other one in a little more detail after this. (laughs) Yeah, I think we were talking earlier about how even within the South Asian community, there's so much diversity, like even between North and South Indians or even between like, somebody who was born in the US versus somebody who was born in the UK. Like even they have so many of their own differences. So I think I'm always trying to find those universal common grounds. But I think some of the things that come up is like speaking your native language or feeling ostracized when you go back to India or internalized racism comes up a lot. Trying to fit in in the West. Um, You know, making fun of your own parents sometimes. Like just those growing pains that we have as we discover ourselves um, comes up quite often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you have to say about, um, you know, this whole, uh, I, I think before this, I had not uh, heard anyone talk about this and it was uh, very, uh, you know, intriguing. And I'm like, I want to know more and I want to know your thoughts because, so the word this, you know, if for anyone wondering what we're talking about, I'm referring to the word auntie. Now, if you know Indians, you're Indian, you're, you know, within the community, you know what that word, it, it it's a pretty heavy word, you know, <laughs> uh, because, you know, in the West, someone will call you an auntie or an aunt if you're really their aunt, like, you know, by relation. Yeah. But in India, it's very, very different, you know, because in your community, everybody and anybody is your auntie and your uncle. Everybody is an auntie. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I think right before we, you came on, Rama, me and Ragini were talking about, you know, one of the things obviously is like how heavy and loaded the word auntie is because of its associations, right? Yeah. And the other thing is that as young girls, you know, like transitioning from like whether you finish college, you're working or you just got married or whatever that is, that sudden transition from being called Didi or Akka or whatever that is, you know, older sister, to suddenly being called an auntie and how you're just like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm not, still I'm grappling not. with that, Shweta. <laughs> 
See? Yeah, so that's why we need Ragini to like, you know, open those floodgates. I need counseling. <laughs> I mean, I could do a full hour on just this issue, right? There's so much like to it. it there's, there's ageism, there's like how society views older women, there's how media views older women, whether it's in the West or the East. After a certain age, women are kind of dismissed like they become a bit invisible right it's not just an indian thing but i think that word has become associated with toxicity or jealousy or just being very abrasive um gossipy and i i think that's so what you were saying about selective feminism what is selective feminism it's obviously when you are selective about when you're supporting women and when you're not and i feel like feminism kind of goes out the window when it comes to these older women in this community we shouldn't have to fear aging that other women are going to stop supporting us or stereotyping us after we get to a certain age then the other side of the argument i've heard people saying is well then they should find their own business and it's like okay but you can't say that only that age group is doing that right like is there any other group you can think of that you could stereotype in that way and people would be okay with? No. So it's just a very strange social phenomenon that's happened where uh, this one group of women is kind of ridiculed and villainized more than any other. And you can thank the movies for that too. That's <laughs> true. That is so true. That is so true. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, do you have any clients who've, you know, come to you, have talked about this or like felt in a certain way because, you know, of the age group they're in and the support that they're not getting? Um, it's a tough one because I have across age groups, mostly uh, people in their early 20s, uni age. And I think some of them have a really amazing nuance on kind of that fine line between understanding that someone has gone through a lot for example like their moms have a really traumatic background and all of those things and then it's not about excusing toxic behavior right it's just about having empathy and I think some of my older clients have been hesitant to kind of speak to someone my age because of that where they're like do you have preconceived notions about me do you you know are you judging me in some way or even hesitant to come to certain events. Like I used to have these workshops and things. And it was all like Gen Z and millennials. And it just doesn't feel very welcoming, which I understand. So I'm trying to change that. And I actually, you know, if, if anybody has kind of insights on how we could do that, that would actually be very helpful. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel like, again, you know, I think Rama made a very good point when um, she was saying that I think that generation of our parents and our grandparents, right, women were primarily homemakers, mm -hmm. you know, so outside of like caring for their family or whatever, and especially once their kids are like old enough and they've moved out and things like that, they really did not have anything else to do. So I think it's somewhere along the way, you know, it's like Idol's Mind is Devil's Workshop. And they were just like, and, and I think that curiosity kind of like spun out of control. Mm -hmm. And it started becoming like this culture of like gossipy and whatever have you. But again, like we, I think um, we actually in our first season, we did uh, this episode was called Are We Our Moms, you know. Right. And at some yeah, point yeah. during that episode, we discussed that. Yes, you know, we have all of these things that, oh, we don't want to be like this. We don't want to be like that. But 
hey, you know what? Whatever they did, they did with zero resources. They didn't have internet. They didn't have books. They didn't have friends. They didn't have like, you know, friends like who they can talk this stuff to. Um, they didn't have counselors. They had no one. You know, it was whatever they saw, like their grandmothers, their mothers doing, their mother-in-laws doing like that. That was all the reference point they had. So for whatever resources they had, I think they did a pretty good job. You know, yes. And again, right, when you talk about this whole auntie culture and all of that stuff, especially the older generation. Yes, they, the women were homemakers. They didn't have jobs. And this is something I have a conversation even with my 86-year-old grandmother now. And she's like, oh, I'm so happy. Like, you're so successful. You're doing all of these things. And I was like, no. Because remember, like, for what kind of education you had, limited education you had, limited access to opportunities you had, you managed to raise a family of multiple children. You took care of grandchildren. You managed a household. You managed the finances, too. Yes, your husband might be the one going out and, you know, maybe the breadwinner in terms of the money aspect of it. But you managed it all. Yeah. You know, you did it all. So all of that also is a skill, right? And that's what today's entrepreneurs are, you know. You know, they raise the money, they run the business and they do everything. So in that sense, I think we do need to give credit to that generation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, just echoing those words, they did whatever they did. I mean, I'm trying to separate they and us. I think the auntie culture let me be just more, um, you know, PC here. So the auntie culture is actually, it's the culture because it's a culture of women with like-minded views who at the time and even now, there's less distraction. The focus is on like, you know, kids and family and there within that setup, there can be a little bit more room for gossip. But I think as generations grow and I'm seeing Shweta and I as aunties, we're now doing different things. We don't really have time to sit and talk or have that kind of conversations, anti-culture conversations, right? Like the sense of like, oh, what happened to that boy's son? Oh, do you find a perfect match for this one? Oh, why is that son dating that thing? We do not have time. And that's what that's I feel. Why are we pretending that other age groups are not having those conversations? Of course they are, ah, right? That, that's very good. Yeah, no, we would love to hear what you think about this. That's yeah. what we want to hear. So this is our side. So what do you think of that? It looks like you have a different view. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you. It's like, sure, those are maybe the stereotypical conversations that, that this auntie culture is pushing. But are we pretending that, you know, young women are not talking about mm. those things? That who's dating who and who's doing... And so it's like, why why is one group so... Uh, like, why are we so mad at this one mm. group for doing that? Especially what you said about we're all doing the best we can with the resources we had. Mm-hmm. I saw the post yesterday. Oh, my God. He was saying, uh, oh, this auntie kept asking me which colleges I got into. And it's like, well, you didn't even go or something like that. And it was like, do you not see how shitty and tone deaf this is? Mm -hmm. And everyone in the comments was like laughing and saying like, yeah, like who is she to even ask and blah, 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 blah. And so it's like, can you imagine if that was replaced with any other, if it was like in any other role, like that just wouldn't be acceptable. Mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. It's just basic lack of empathy. Yeah, But it's bound to change. I think it should. I think it should. Yeah. In general, the culture is bound to change because of just people just don't have time to have such gossips, at least. Yeah, no, but I feel like, again, right, I think what Ragini is trying to say is irrespective of age group at different levels, people are having the same conversations, but we somehow have like, pointed to this one group and we take out all our frustration. It's almost like the auntie group is our punching bag 
to everything, you know. Um, I think it's like here we are trying to do all of these things, have these multiple roles and, you know, being ambitious, whatever. And the second like this so-called auntie group like comes and asks you a question, you're just like, oh, you feel like they're in your business and what have you. But like, no, why don't you just take it as they're genuinely curious and actually have a conversation and see where that goes, Mm -hmm. right? And really examine why you're having that thought. Because of course, I understand that that first wave of feminism was, how do we get out of the house? How do we get jobs? How do we like make ourselves equal to men and all these things? And now it's, I'm hoping that it's shifting to, it's all about choice. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being, staying at home or being a mother or doing those things, as long as that is your choice. I feel like it's almost, you know, you hear people casually being like, oh, you know, like, she's a housewife or like at least I'm not a housewife you know like that kind of narrative yeah because we were working so hard to like get out of that that somehow it went a little bit too far to the point that now it's like that's yeah (laughs) that's true that's true yeah um okay so before wrapping up I think one of the things uh when it comes to mental well-being is you know um because it's so critical to your overall health what are some tips that you have, whether it's the young, middle-aged or whatever age group, like mental health 101 practices that people can do every day to check in with themselves, you know, apart from, you know, seeking professional help? Mm, I would say um, morning and nighttime routines are, this is again, cliche, but it's so impactful. Like if you literally just take 10 minutes in the morning to not, rush like just have a slow morning if you can wake up even just 15 minutes earlier it makes a huge difference um for me breathing we literally forget to breathe throughout the day these are like such generic tips i'm trying to think of something that's like actually like something new that people haven't heard um so something i actually used to replace nighttime scrolling that was like a big mm-hmm. thing like scrolling on my phone at night was listening to audiobooks. And I had never done that before. And obviously, in the long run, it would be great to just not have any technology like night. But that's one thing where it's like, at least I wasn't looking at a screen. And I can just like listen to a story and whatever, like it feels like being read to, which is really mm-hmm. comforting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think journaling is another big thing, right? Part of the morning routine. Yeah. Especially yeah. the gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's this is amazing. Um, thank you so much for what you're doing in the space. Uh, I think it's uh, much needed, yeah. and uh, we really enjoyed this conversation with you. Me too. Yeah. Thank you so much. And and where do people find you? Um, so my website is cardroomcounseling uh, dot com. Um, and there's also a contact form on there. And uh, now I'm I'm also on Instagram now against my will. Um, so that's cardamom.counseling and it's the same on TikTok as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, you should follow Ragini on TikTok. She's pretty active there. And she has some <laughs> fun serious. content. I, yes. I will be active on Instagram too if people actually comment. <laughs> yes, and yeah. we'll link all of her uh, work, you know, her website and stuff in the show notes. Yeah. So thank you everyone for tuning in. And uh, until next time, bye. Bye-bye. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Do continue to give us your valuable feedback via ratings, reviews, and click the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on our new episodes. Your support means the world to us. 
And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at chai underscore break underscore podcast to get the scoop on our latest episodes dropping every Wednesday. You can also write to us at chaibreakpodcast at gmail.com. 